That Force Radio. That Force Radio is rated M for mature. Or should that be immature? Hey guys, Dustin Wint. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. This is Paul Dini. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. You're listening to Bat Force Radio. This is Tom King. I write Batman Bitch. And this is Bat Force Radio. Welcome to Bat Force Radio episode 200. Mm. I know, I know, recently during the Tom King Playman episode, I said it was episode 1000. That was purely a Marvel joke. This is really episode 200. Someone somehow let us make 200 episodes of this absolute balderdash. But episode 200, our 200th roundtable tonight is the Trunkler himself in Chicago. Hey, hey, hey. Grandpa Batman in Texas. Howdy. The Bat Force Times in New York. And I'm Rob Cross in Canada. And tonight's guest is known for creating some of the most iconic images ever produced of characters like Catwoman, Zatanna, Wonder Woman, Black Cat, and many more. As well as countless designs from statues, busts, and art prints for properties like Star Wars, DC, Marvel, and Dynamite based on his immediately recognizable naturalistic art style, a favorite artist of many other top artists in the industry, and a pretty great guy to have lunch with at San Diego Comic-Con, tonight's guest, Mr. Adam Hughes. Yay! Hello, yes. thank, you. thank you, thank you. Thank you so much for being here, Adam. Uh, first of all, how is life? Uh, it's not too bad. Um, a week ago, last Saturday, me and my family were attacked by bees. What? Uh, yeah. Go, that. Go on. Yeah, we, you know, oh, this is just, Whoa. you know, your raw grist for the podcast meal. <laughs> <laughs> mill, mill, mill. Um, yeah, uh, we've got four old English sheepdogs, and my wife was walking in them in our neighbor's yard because he's got like two acres. And um, there was a hole in the ground filled with yellow jackets. And, um, you know, my wife. Uh, my studio is on the lower floor of our house, and uh, my wife texted me, help gelatin, because in an emergency, autocorrect will change bees to the word gelatin. But she said help, so I ran outside, and she's coming running back to the house with, like, no pants on, and she's screaming, bees, bees, bees. And I got my shirt off before I knew it, and I'm beating the dogs to get the bees off of them. She got stung like eight times. I got stung twice. And to, if anybody doubts that there is a malevolent force in the universe, I got I got stung twice. Once on my Achilles tendon on my left leg and on the thumb of my drawing hand. Oh. And, <laughs> you know, it's like my thumb was twice the size and swollen and itchy. And I'm glad I was just working on layouts this week. Because if I had to do any real art for publication, it would have blown the dog. I consider any now any day where I'm not attacked by yellow jackets uh, to be a glorious gift. But after experiencing it, it's got to be a, it's got to be a pretty great sensation. It's pretty mag <laughs> magnificent at this point. So um, you know, uh, other than that, uh, <clears throat> you know, we're in the high hot days of uh, 
of summer here in Atlanta, Georgia, but it's not it's not too too terribly bad. It's been it's been worse, um, and uh, you know I've got more work than I can handle, so I'm I'm very grateful and happy with life right now. Could you give us um, your background in terms of where you discovered your love for art and your talent and how you broke into the industry and all that? So like like uh, Adam Hughes' origin story. Um, <clears throat> well, I'm originally from New Jersey, um, and I you know, was given a box of hand-me-down comics when I was four or five from two older cousins who had, and I'm making air quotes, outgrew them. And in there was like, you know, Fantastic Four, 81, and FF Annual 2, uh, Tales of Suspense, 66, The Secret Origin of the Red Skull, and I just I just fell in love with comics, and I was, uh, you know, slightly surprised to find out that Spider-Man, who, to me, was a cartoon character, you know, I, would, I was watching reruns of the Spider-Man 1967 cartoon as long as I can remember. I did not know that there was a comic of Spider-Man. And that was just it. I, 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 I'd been drawing, but I'd been drawing them as, you know, Spider-Man as a cartoon character, Superman as a cartoon character. And comics was just something where it's like, hey, I don't have to wait until this is on. I can open this comic anytime I want. And then immediately lifelong love of comics ensued. And I've been drawing ever since. In the mid 80s, um, there was a black and white boom in comics. It's like, it's where Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles came from, and uh, lots of other books which have just passed into the you know annals of history at this point. But um, everybody was publishing. You know, it wasn't just you know you had to be in New York or Los Angeles or London or something like that. You could you could be anywhere and publish your own black and white comic. So there was there was a great demand for artists so it was real i hate to tell young people that it was really really easy to get into comics in the mid 80s you did not have to have a finely honed skill set to, to get work and that's how i started i started when i was 19 and i didn't think i was ready i was showing my work to comics professionals and editors at local conventions and for local i'm from south jersey so local be philadelphia you know some some smaller ones in the new jersey area and, um, you know, one time I was showing my work to, um, to a comics professional, uh, Mark Wheatley of Insight Studios. And I'd, I'd had one pinup out earlier that was – I got invited by some local artists who had their own book called Eagle, which was a sort of a mystical kung fu comic. They asked me to do a pinup, and then a few months later, I was at a small local convention, and Mark Wheatley was there. I was just showing him my samples to try to get some input. And he tore my work apart for the better part of a half hour. He did everything short of like, you know, soaking it in, in, in kerosene and setting it on fire. And I was like, oh, God, wow, I must really suck. And when it was done, he thought he was a Haha, funny smart ass. He said, Which, so would you like some work? And I was like, you know, I, I choked back to tears. And I was like, yes. Um, and that started a pretty much, thankfully, count my blessings, nonstop run of work. Um the only the only time the only time I, I've been out of work and I've been accused of the, the, oh this is arrogant but it's the truth so it can't be all that arrogant. Um, I had been I uh, worked on a few black and white books and then I my my transition to color comics was the Maze Agency Mike W Bars the Maze Agency for Kamiko, which was a comic book company over in P Pennsylvania, and I was I was on working on issue eleven 
of uh, Maze Agency, a detective comic, pretty cool, pretty cool book. Um, and I got the call that Kamiko was putting all their books on a hiatus. They were they were imploding. They the kind word is hiatus. And kids, anytime anybody tells you hiatus, it means it's done. <laughs> Not, nothing new. We're know, on a break. Uh oh, don't say it, that means saga is done. Oh. <laughs> it's well, maybe they'll be the first to break the mold. But honest to God, nobody's nobody's grandma ever goes on hiatus. <laughs> she, she she dies. You know. Uh, <laughs> Timmy, your 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 dog is your dog is on hiatus. He'll be back someday. Um, so I, I on and you know they 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 said don't. This is pre-internet, of course. This is back in the Stone Age of the 1900s, and they said don't tell anybody because we're still having trouble finding like people like Matt Wagner and other people to let them know. And I was like, oh, okay, they didn't want me to like spread rumors. Like 45 minutes, I was just sitting there for 45 minutes, just going, I, well, I, I guess I could clean my studio or, you know, get a real job or something. And I got a call 45 minutes later from DC Comics asking me to be on Justice League. Wow. 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 So fortunately, I've only been out of work for 45 minutes 45 my entire career. <laughs> uh, I've always had some something I needed to do, something that was late, something that somebody was expecting. Ever since then, it was, you know, Justice League kind of made me known to the greater comics reading public in the Western Hemisphere. And uh, since then, it's been one job after another. So when you were, awesome. were doing that, was it? Just covers, full interiors, just backgrounds, uh, or what? It was it was covers and pencils on the interiors. It was it, I was back. I didn't become a cover artist until like several years later. So back then, anybody, anytime anybody offered me work, it was interior stuff. So I was drawing the insides of Justice League. At this point, and for as long as I can remember, you uh, draw ink and color all of your work on your own. Is that? intentional or are you intentionally doing all the steps your own or is it just how you naturally work well <clears throat> i when i when i when i sort of you know jeted into being a cover artist you know in the in the late 90s um you know i'd learned i had learned how to color on the computer when i was working for jim lee out at wildstorm doing a gen 13 miniseries called uh, ordinary heroes you know, on that book I, I wrote it and i penciled it but mark farmer inked it I, I was used to working with other inkers i was used to working with other colorists but on my covers i thought well maybe i could do it all myself that way i don't have to <clears throat> if, if, if anything goes wrong it's my fault i don't have to sit there and blame you know blame the inker or blame the colorist and uh it's just become something i do um uh, I my penciling style has really changed to the point where I pencil very loosely now, and I kind of find it. I kind of find the drawing in the inks. Like I'll pencil something tight, like a facial expression or some hands, but things like hair or the folds in clothing or things like that, I just kind of rough them out, and then I get the brush or the pen out, and then I sort of find it in there. And if I make a mistake, I just start drawing with the white ink, you know. And it would be a real weird. It would be a real weird thing to now nowadays for me to pencil something for somebody else to ink because I'd have to teach myself, you know, how to how to pencil tightly again. I, I can definitely see that in your work. Uh, now that you uh, explain it, I, I've seen I have uh, an Ivy sketch that you did for me, and I've watched you do sketches at cons, and yeah, I definitely see where you sort of just penciled the head shape and the placement of the eyes and then you went straight to inks and just filled everything in yeah it's you know nowadays it feels 
like doing tight pencils followed by tight inks. It feels like drawing stuff twice. Uh, being that you first were talking about black, started with black and white, uh, it's interesting because uh, one of my favorite things you've ever done for me personally was uh, Batman Black and White Volume 4, uh, She Lies at Midnight. Oh, yeah. I actually had you sign had you signed that one page, the the last page, which I absolutely love, where Catwoman asked Batman if he could stop for ice cream before going mm-hmm. to the... Uh, I thought that yep. was brilliant. Uh, it was a great, great writing job, too, on that. Um, I, I think it's fairly uh, safe to say that you're really well known as drawing beautiful women, um, and they have this pinup quality to them. Was that something you were interested in artistically when going into the genre, or is it just something that organically happened with uh, well you know you draw what you like you draw what you like and i i like you know i like beautiful women who can take care of themselves and you know but i discovered i was working in a comic shop around 1986 1987 and that's when i discovered dave stevens the rocketeer and that started you know i mean a love affair with dave's artwork that continues to this day and i loved how he was this amazing draftsman and this beautiful anchor, but the show stopped every time he drew Betty. It was just so beautiful. And I had the good fortune of meeting Dave like in summer of 1988. And he looked over my artwork and he was really nice. Gave me a lot of great uh, critiques. Opened my eyes to a lot of the classic pinup artists that he was a fan of that who I, I had never heard of because again, no internet. You need to have another, another caveman come along and tell you actually there's, there's mammoth meat over the next hill. You just need to come over, you know? Um, <laughs> so Dave turned me on to like Gil Elvgren and mm, Petty and Vargas and a host of other host of other great pinup artists. And I just fell in love with it. Every time I had to draw a female character in, a, in an assignment, I would of course try to make them as, as beautiful as I could. Mm. And that turned into you could call it a stereotype but i think if if you have a stereotype that keeps you in work then it's not too bad i i i just you know became known as a quote-unquote good girl artist even though i didn't draw in the classic good girl style like the way dave stevens did uh i just sort of did what i felt was like right for me and you know early on there was a lot of, of course aping of my art heroes uh but it's yeah it's, i mean it's 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 what i'm known for and i'm still i'm still getting i'm still getting jobs based on that mm. you know people call people call up or email me and say hey we want you to do the covers for blap and it's always mm. almost always a female title yeah and uh, I, I don't know what it is it's so distinct i think for me and i don't know if this makes sense or not but when i look at i think your work stands out so much when it comes to women and particularly is because they look powerful, but they also look happy in a way, in, in some place. Like with some of your Catwomans or Zatanna's or even one Supergirl, it's like there's this powerful optimistic energy that you know how to instill visually in these uh, covers or panels or whatever it may be, I noticed. And I think, I, don't, I think that could be quite tricky for some people to do, especially in the genre, to have all those things in one. Um, with that, cl- cl- you know, transforming that classic style into a modern age genre at this point so yeah it's it's a tightrope it Mm. definitely is a tightrope um i mean one of the things i don't know if you guys remember back in the 90s there was what was called the bad girl movement Mm. you know where they had lots of 
sexy but dangerous, angry female characters. And I I was not interested in that. I resisted that. I was just like going, I I want to draw these these characters that are they're beautiful, but they're 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 characters. There's some kind of life coming out of the eyes. Um, but if they were in peril, I wanted it to be peril that any male character could get into. I I really have eschewed drawing like you know bondage stuff. I think I did one Betty Betty Page cover where I had her t- I had to have her tied up. Mm. And uh, but most of the time it's like all right, well, I. I would draw Lara Croft in any perilous situation that say, you know, Indiana Jones or Nathan Drake would be in. Um, I was just, that's just me personally. I wasn't, it wasn't an active thing. It was just kind of like what I liked seeing. Mm. Yeah. Uh, would, would you include uh, Barb Lyre in that, uh, that bad girl movement? Um, yeah, I guess I would. I guess I did. I, I guess I did drink the Kool-Aid and do yeah, a well, Barb Lyre. I, but, I, I, w- I wasn't going to say that. Like I, I think more of the all the cover work that you did for for that barbed wire series that you, if anything, it feels like you transformed her over to your style. Uh, there's definitely a lot of cat pissing on other people's property when I work. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I, uh, I, I think if I have a gift, it's it's for taking a character that already exists and maybe just doing a little subtle something on her. And I look at it and go, Hey, is anybody else seeing this kind of opportunity for something here? And most people aren't seeing it. So I go, okay, well I'll explore that. And yeah, Barb girl, you know, kind of a, kind of a toughie, kind of a badass. Um, but, um, I was really happy to, to do barbed wire covers when she came back a few years ago. And it was funny because one of the covers I did, because uh, I also think sexy is funny. I also think there's, there's sexy and humor go go hand in hand. And they were never asking me for sketches. They just said, "We trust you." Hand in a cover every month. And I did the you know barbed wire with her her you know buff shoulders holding guns and being a bad badass. But I did one cover where she's sitting on a toilet with her head in a towel with band aids covering up like you know all the wounds she got working and she's sitting she's sitting on the toilet and there's all this junk on the floor like shotgun shells and socks and bras and stuff and she's smoking a cigarette and she's cleaning a revolver with like a um like a brush hmm. <laughs> and i've got a i i i did handed a logo behind her i did a giant wooden frame and i've got uh, a giant cross stitch that says barbed wire hmm. on the wall behind her hmm. And I was just giggling the whole time I was doing it because I was like, "Oh my God, if Norman Rockwell is in hell, these are the, these are the paintings he's doing." And my editor, who uh, was a, was a was a young lady, was like, "That's nice." All the other people at Dark Horse were laughing their asses off. They said, "This is a hysterical cover." Mm. And my editor, she was like, "It's okay." And I said, "Well, tell me honestly, what don't you like about it?" She goes, "I like it when you make her pretty. She she looks like a tough a tough badass here." And I was like, well, that's the gag. You know, it's like, you know, you sit there and go, oh, my God, she's, you know, she's, she's, she's busty. She's beautiful, blonde hair. And this is like the sort of dark moment after the comic has ended where it's like she shucked off all of her bloody clothes. Mm. And she's just sitting there on the toilet, nursing her wounds, cleaning a gun, smoking a cigarette, going, uh, life, <laughs> you know. And she didn't like that because it was it was not just a sexy shot of barbed wire. Mm. 
Um, and I just was like, this is just a weird world. You're supposed to, <laughs> you're the one who's supposed to be saying, stop making her like breasts so large. And, um, <laughs> uh, and you know, it was, it was fun to, you know, to take that bad girl and, and go, here's the funny side of bad girlness. Here's the, the, the whimsy in all of it. Mm. And, um, so yeah, I do I do pee all over properties when I work on them. Now that I think about it, <laughs> I would say that um, your version of Catwoman is probably one of the most popular among cosplayers as well. Um, do you ever like you know sit at a convention and just think, wow, look here's here's my drawing or illustration just come to life? Yeah, that's always really cool. Whenever you see another creative person taking something you've done and interpreting it in their own sort of you know creative vibe their creative world that's just great that's always great i always love it when you know cosplayers come up and they're dressed as something i drew and they're like oh let's get a picture you know like oh my god i really enjoy your your work and i'm going well i can tell because you know, you took the time to actually transform yourself into a, a semblance of it. And it's just, uh, it's also a great way to meet chicks. If you're a young comic book artist who's struggling to meet people, just draw, draw what you would like to, to meet. And, you know, if you're lucky, they'll, 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 they'll come up to you and say, hi, how you doing? My wife's not thrilled about it. But, uh, I, uh, as I limp into middle age here, I still enjoy that aspect of the job. Mm. One thing I love about your Catwoman is um, kind of her resemblance and portrayal to Audrey Hepburn. Was that intentional or was that just how you envision uh, Selena Kyle? Well, um <clears throat> Um, the legal department at DC Comics would like me to always answer that with no. <laughs> that that is a complete accident. Uh, but yeah, it is. It's you know I the stuff I was looking at when I got the Catwoman gig was all the Darwin Cook stuff. And Darwin Cook just had that 1950s American film noir cocktail lounge just just vibe exuding out of all of his work and he had selena with the short hair and i'd never really seen any audrey hepburn films at that point but i remember going i think audrey hepburn kind of had short hair and she's got that 1950s thing down and i looked at a couple pictures of audrey hepburn and i'm like yeah that's that's selena right there that's that's it you know there's other actresses like you look at young elizabeth taylor or you know gene simmons um that was definitely a, a look that was um being you know sort of uh, exercised back in the 1950s, but you know it's all yeah. It, 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 it was you know my Catwoman was like 80% Audrey Hepburn, 10% Young Elizabeth Taylor, 5% uh, Gene Simmons, and 5% Trinity from the first Matrix film. You know, and that wow, was just that's a nice just recipe. A, <laughs> that was just a, a cocktail that I was going. All right, it's always got to be. You know, black leather, short black hair, sex appeal, eyebrows for days. Um, and uh, yeah, and uh, the thing was, is I was like, surely, surely no one will let me do this. <laughs> and I'm one of those people who was like, I'll, I'll do it until somebody tells me to stop. 
<laughs> and nobody ever told me to stop. <laughs> so like I kept pushing it. I kept making it more and more like Audrey Hepburn every, every chance I could. And nobody ever asked me to lay off. So it's like, okay. I mean, you know, you do what you're told. You know, when you're when you're a work for hire, you're doing what the <clears throat> the editor or the boss is is uh, wanting you to do. But you know, no no kickback ever. So I just I was just allowed to play in my own Catwoman sandbox for three four years. Well, I think it works so well because you know a lot of it brings a playfulness and and kind of a I don't want to say innocence, but you know I, the expressions that you that you have her do in your illustrations, you know, they're like what uh, was previously mentioned. They were, they're fun. They're expressive. She's in situations of peril, but like you said, seems to be uh, almost enjoying it or not scared of, of the moment. Right. Yeah. You know, it, I mean, it's, it's, <clears throat> I, I wish I had a, I wish I had like a, you know, like my own personal Bible or rule book, but I just have always gone on instinct. Like, does this feel okay? Does this not feel okay? And nine times out of ten, I'm I'm usually in the safe zone of like, this is this is right at this moment for this character on this cover. And only rarely have I ever gotten into trouble where it's like, hey, you went a little too far with that joke, or you went a little too far, you know, with the, you know the boobs sometimes um you know uh let's call a spade a spade here hmm. and um with, with your work process do you have like a specific like model that you work off of or how do you um how, what, what's your process in terms of depicting these people i don't i mean like in, in the instance of something like catwoman it's like okay well here's here's a person hmm. who i can always turn to because like Hey, I, I could never be an animator because I can't draw the same thing twice. Mm-hmm. I would be a terrible animator. But I remember when I was taken over on Justice League and I met Kevin McGuire, who was, of course, the great artist who, you know, was the original star of the funny Justice League. And I was talking to him up at the, D- the old DC offices uh, in New York. And I said, you know, who did you think of when you were doing each character to sort of keep you and he rattled off a bunch of people who he said, yeah, I'm not trying to draw them, but I'm thinking of them while I'm doing it. And it's like, oh, OK. And that helps people like me, again, who can't draw the same thing from page to page or cover to cover. Uh, as far as my process goes, uh, I'll do some sketches for the editors. They'll get approved. I'll pick one. I'll, I'll, pick, I'll take the one that got picked, excuse me. Um, and I'll start doing some drawing. And when there's places where <clears throat> you know, I want it to be you know like okay i want this to be really dead on you know i'll i'll look up some internet reference or i'll i'll bring somebody in and i'll take some pictures of them and it's um you know it helps me grow as an artist because i can sit there and go oh this is the way light hits hair coming from this angle i you know i look at the reference i draw it and then i I get better at it and i can i can whip it out in one of these con sketches that you would see me doing uh you know and you know the extension of of my love for like those great illustrators that Dave Stevens turned me on to uh, was that I started looking at more artists outside of comics. You know, up to that point, I was just like, oh, well, if I'm going to draw comics, I am just going to like put, you know, horse, horse blinders on and just pay attention to comic book artists. And, mm. you know, when, when, when the world opened up to me that there were other artists that I could look at, you know, fine artists or 
um, you know, artists from the golden age of American illustration. And uh, I just fell in love with that. And that's kind of why I have that naturalistic style is because I'm at this stage in my career, I'm not as much into say cartooning or doing like overly dynamic exaggerations. Mm. I'm more, I'm more into that sort of Norman Rockwell, Dean Cornwell mm. uh, uh, school of, you know, really making you feel like you're seeing it yeah. and that does involve reference so um i'm very lucky that i i'm a great cobbler mm. uh, i was i was doing a star trek graphic novel with chris claremont back in like 1990 or 91 something like that and i found that whenever i tried to draw captain kirk or mr spock straight from reference it always looked kind of flat and dull but what i discovered was if i drew what in my mind you know could you please describe you know the person that assaulted you you know i tried to draw from my head what i thought captain kirk or mr spock looked like and then i would sit back and i go well that's not quite right i'd pull out a picture and i go oh i got the hair wrong or oh i got the nose wrong um, and then, and then spot corrected. And I, that has enabled me over the years to, you know, I don't need to have reference of the entire shot. I can sit there and draw what I want and I go, Hey, I want the latex on Catwoman to be a little, a little shinier or a little more realistic. And then I go look at pictures of latex and I'm like, Oh, this leg here kind of look works for me. And on this other picture, you know, this, you know, arm looks nice mm. and I can just sort of like cobble it together in my head and then from my head through my hand down onto the page and it's just all these disparate sources it's just you know i i personally feel that an artist's greatest tool is their eyes i mean you need to be able to observe the world before you can interpret it and then translate it through your talent and i'm always learning new stuff mm. so you know i'm 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 sort of happy to draw in that classic american illustrator vein for the time yeah, that's what I've always wanted to know, and thank you for answering that in such depth. Because uh, you, in, in a sense, what you've done probably without even realizing it is created a own lane for yourself as well. Because nobody, nobody does. It's very unique what you what you do in comics, and no one else does it. Whereas, like sometimes the face will have this photo like fine art quality, whereas maybe the the alpha will be will be more illustrative. And I was talking to Lee Barranjo about this not too long ago, where in like this field. It's like some people do certain things, but there's only a certain number of slots for each um, uh, style of art within this genre. Otherwise, it's oversaturated. Like, you know, you have like uh, the David Finches and the Jason Fabrics, and the school of, which is the school of Jim Lee, and Libra Mejo, which is like semi-realistic. And you, like what, I just, what you just described here is, is like your specific lane that no one else can do, like your trademark almost, and, and how organic it is and how it sounds like it constantly evolves as well. So... I always it thought does. that's interesting because, you know, good art like that stays with somebody's memory when they're reading or enjoying this kind of thing. So, yeah. God, I hope so because it's too late for me to find a real job. <laughs> <laughs> well, for 45 minutes, you'll be looking. <laughs> I, hope, I hope I have my own lane, you know, because, you know, you know, I live in perpetual fear of some young, young gun coming along who does what I do, but they do it faster and they do it cheaper. Mm, uh, <laughs> and. No, no company in their right mind would continue to hire me because they're going, well, we got this kid who does everything you do without the headaches. And it's like, oh, okay, well, fair enough. Um, so I, uh, but, I hope so. But I hope, I hope. Names, names do sell in this genre, though, this, this uh, comic book industry, doesn't it? It's like, 
you know, like the the Jim Lee special editions or this person variant cover, whatnot. Like the names do sell as well, and you've established a name for yourself. So, I mean, God, God bless that phenomenon. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like I, I, you know, I can vividly remember the first time someone called me sir without it being followed by you're causing a disturbance <laughs> and, and I, I i looked i looked around and i was like oh where why, you know i'm 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 wearing shorts i'm like you know why why are you respecting me and i discovered that you know there's a great line that john houston says in the film chinatown uh, jack nicholson tells his character who is a rich old guy um uh, that he's got a lot of respect in the community. And John Houston says, of course I've got respect. I'm old. Politicians, ugly buildings, and whores all get respect if they last long enough. <laughs> and it's like one of the greatest lines in movies. And, but it's true. It's true. If you, if you hang out long enough, people will, will – there's this faux sense of – entitlement's not the right word, but like false respect <laughs> – you know, where they go, well, you've lasted this long. Obviously, you, you've got some sort of true grit that allows you to, you know, weather the storms of a, of a turbulent, you know, commercial art industry. Mm-hmm. And, and, yeah, you get to you, you turn around and all of a sudden people are, you know, oh, this, this guy. And you're going, I'm just here. I'm just working. There's fundamentally nothing different mm-hmm. between, you know, the work I did today and the work I did in 1988, it's like still me hunched over a drawing table. Mm. But to other people, yeah, there's this strange gravitas that becomes attached to any sort of, you know, artistic survivor mm. who's still around. Because, you know, you can sit, you can sit, and you can look back and you go, hey, you remember that great artist from like 1992? Whatever happened to them? Yeah, there's a lot of those too. And, yeah. you know, like, Sometimes they've just smartened up and gone to a better, a better paying, you know, commercial art field. You know, they're in, they're in video games or they're, you know, working in film or television. Mm. Or sometimes they just dropped out because they were like, you know, this comics game is is rough. Yeah, and it's also weird in this game because there are some people who have been constantly working in this field on books for twenty years plus. And still are like under the radar for some reason. We have a lot. Of, I'm not gonna name names. But we have a handful of guys on the show that have been doing this work for quite some time, and like their their names haven't even got there yet. They just been, you know, in the the, the flow or the scheme of work of things or whatnot. So it's it is really strange in this industry how that works. It it is very strange, and I never take it for granted because, um, you know, it it does. That sort of name recognition does come with a strange coin mm. that you know I'm I'm able to spend from time to time. Yeah. Uh, well, and I could give you a little story about that. A quick one with me personally is when you finally were coming to New York Comic Con a couple of years ago. I forgot. I think it was like two years ago. I was so fucking pumped, man. I made sure that I had that um, that book or that specific page of Black White Volume Four to get signed because I was going to travel down to. I think it's Baltimore. You were going to Baltimore first that year. And then you popped up on NYCC. It's like, oh, because I live in New York. I'm like, oh, fuck yeah. Adam Hughes is coming to New York Comic Con. I am getting this Catwoman page signed. And, you know, so I'm, I'm one of those people who could attest to the, the power of the name and, you know, the name behind the artwork, the consistent artwork. So it is, you know. Yeah, I guess and, this is one of those few genres that it, it happens like that. I suppose it does happen, but it, it doesn't happen fairly, as you pointed as mm. as 
as was pointed out a little while ago, is like mm-hmm. some people can just do the same amount of work and 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 yeah. or or even better work or even you know more prolific work, and they still you know toil in semi obscurity. Yeah. yeah. Um. It's it's weird. It's like you know the 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 people decide the 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 the, the reading and consuming yeah. artistic public. They decide who they want to be their mm. their stars and their superstars there's so many factors too because it, it could depend on what book they're working on what character they're working on who's popular at the moment and how good the writing might have been or how good the writing might have aged as well you know because it's it's like a it's a push-pull between artists and writer as well like sometimes it could be a you know a sinking ship but the writing isn't good and then people overlook that story so it's uh yeah i just just talking about this makes me realize how how strange this industry is, but uh, but hey, you are a household well, name, man. You're a you're like up there neck and neck with Jim Ballon as the Catwoman guy as well. In case you haven't, in case you haven't known that. Thank you. That's a that's a perfect segue because don't you also have a absolute art book coming out? Ooh. Yes. Yes. Um. Yeah, we're uh, um cover run, which was the coffee table book we did back in 2010. Mm. Um. I've continued to work for DC Comics in the intervening nine years. And, um, you know, somebody at DC was like, why don't we do an absolute edition? Because the first time we did it, the first time we did it, we were like, we could only, we only had 204 pages. We had to kill, kill a lot of our babies Mm. to, uh, we had to decide who was going to get a full page, who was going to just get a little trading card size thing on the facing page. Um, which pages, which covers were like, warranted a commentary from me absolute edition was supposed to be you know oh we're gonna as many pages as we need let's do everything and uh, unfortunately the person who who started that idea got fired Mm. (laughs) so the people who took over um without checking with me because they're at this point it's just been talk there hadn't been any contracts or anything like that they just went ahead and put it on the solicitation And somebody, some, I was like on Twitter. I get all my news on Twitter, and uh, somebody's like, "Oh, I can't wait to get this Adam Hughes Absolute Edition." And I was like, "Qua?" <laughs> and like, I look, and all of a sudden, you know, there's a date, and there's a there's a, a finite page count that's already been decided without consulting me. And so DC and I have had to go back and forth and work that out. But like, mm. we're right now, we're in, we're ironing out the contracts, and we've already set aside all the covers that we think we're going to put into it. Mm. And it'll be exactly like Cover Run, but bigger and, you know, more fuller. Oh, I oh, hope that comes out. Yeah. I cannot wait to see it. It will. It will. It'll, it's, I think it's going to come out spring of next year. Oh. Well, do you know if that uh, Zatanna cover will be on it when she's, like, at her desk with all the magic elements and whatnot? I, I think so. I think, you know, I, I only did eight or nine Zatanna covers, so yeah. they should they should all be allowed to be in there. True. Oh. I'm excited. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, and you said it was uh, scheduled for spring next year. Is that what this? I think so. Yeah. Well, currently, that that's our that's our our date. We are mm. putting our Norton bomb site on and and aiming for. I hope so. Yeah, editorial publishing has been weird recently. <laughs> so many changes and uh, it's like you know uh, resolicits and whatnot. So we just when, when something like this is announced, we're just like, please go through on time and. Everything be all right. Yeah. In, in this instance, the the not on time is not my fault. Just somebody at DC didn't know because they got handed all of this fired person's you know projects. Yeah. 
and they were just going through going, okay, put this on the schedule. They were just moving stuff around and they, they did not know that we had not figured out a schedule yet. Maybe, maybe that person wasn't fired up, maybe just on hiatus or whatnot, you know? Yeah, there you go. They're on, they're on. Uh, on the topic of your Zatanna, you, the, it, odds are you already know this story, but, uh, uh, a while back, we had Paul Dini and his wife, Misty Lee, on the show, and uh, she told the story of how they came to meet each other, and it's funny how much of uh, your Zatanna work plays into that, because uh, they met through a friend of hers handing her uh, a trade paperback of Paul's Zatanna run with your Zatanna right there on the cover, and uh, told her, hey, uh this is a comic book about a uh, a girl who is a magician and has a big mouth. You'll love it. <laughs> and uh, after reading it, she's the type of person to contact someone to let them know she enjoys their work. Mm-hmm. So she got in touch with Paul to tell her uh, to tell him how much she enjoyed it. And next thing you know, here we are. They're uh, they're still together today. Oh, you're a matchmaker. Wow. Your work is matchmaker. So. Wow. Let's go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wear a diaper and carry a bow and arrow around. Uh, <laughs> just, uh, That's a good uh, cosplay at the next convention. <laughs> Look at that big hairy baby! What a cupid! Um, well, that's, that's that's awfully sweet. I did not know that. I did enjoy, I did enjoy doing those Atana covers, and I, I wish there were more. It's, it's you know, Catwoman ended before. I could do all my ideas and Zatanna ended before I could do all my ideas and mm. barbed wire ended before. And I was just like, Oh, wait, you know, just, just when I start to get my brain wrapped around the character, yeah. and I, it, it's like the rug gets pulled out. Cause it's, it, you know, you can look at my first few Catwoman covers. They're, they're not bad. They're, they're serviceable covers, but it was like, after a few, I started to really feel my Wheaties and, you know, that's when I start to fall in love with the character and I start to become possessive about the character. And it's at that point where I really just start, oh, this is my thing now. Get away. Ah, mm. You know, uh, and um, I, I had a, a, a way more Zatanna stuff I wanted to do. I'd, I'd love to work on that one again. Oh, man. Great Any favorites of your Catwoman cover run? Whoa. Let me think. Actually, don't let me think. Let me actually open a folder on my computer. <laughs> I, I tell you that I always love that cover where she's sitting at the diner. I think she's playing with a spoon. Right. She just looks so down and out. I mean, that takes thought to p- portray a, a cover like that with that kind of mood in this industry. Like you don't see much of that, and I just that image always sticks with me because like that's Selena Kyle. You know, you, I think I think you really get these characters to really portray them in these kind of settings and mood and everything like that. So. Again, so many good uh, ones. my only my only true superpower is uh, is is that is to sort of yeah that's that character. Okay, I've got a folder open with Catwoman covers. <clears throat> Let me see. Um, I think it's probably as most recognizable is number fifty one, where she's like standing in front of you know holding her little uh, the, Gotham City Police Department. Yeah, the oh mugshot. yeah, the, the, mug, the mug the mugshot cover. That the mugshot. That probably, goes for money, man. That goes for a lot of money now. Yeah, it's probably the most well-known Catwoman image there is. That's uh, true. My wife and I were watching some cartoon show um, a few years ago, and it was about, it was like on Cartoon Network, and it was you know like like just before the the Daily Show, 
and the show's not the, this animated show's not anymore. It's about a, like a regular guy who's dating a demon, and um, uh, that's usually how it goes. Yeah, yeah, and you know, like uh, you know, he works in some sort of department of human resources, but he deals with devils and demons all the time. And um, there was one episode where they had to cut to a mugshot of a burglar. And it was my Catwoman mugshot cover with the leather zip down to the middle, everything. But she had an actual cat head. Um, and they said, you know, the, the burglar seen here in this unnecessarily sexy mugshot. <laughs> and my, my wife and I were like, oh, crap. <laughs> they're actually, you know, they're actually like referencing something, something we did. And I say we because my wife came up with that idea. Cool. Um, uh, I really would like to take credit for all all, all my successes, but um, uh, the editorial mandate for the cover for Catwoman 51 was uh, Selena has gone back to a life of crime, and she's not happy about it. Mm. And then and then they were just like, go off and make magic. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know, like, what do I do? And I was just sitting there wearing a hole in my chin, scratching it. My wife said, what about a mugshot? And it was just like, oh, it was like the light coming through the east window of a church. I was like, oh, my God, yes, the band, the band. You know? And uh, God, bless, God bless her for being there because I would not – I was overthinking the plumbing, and she just you know, cut to the chase. Uh, she's a very fine illustrator herself, and she comes up with good ideas. And I was just kind of like, what should I do? And, you know, sure, she came up with the best idea. So, uh, you know, I, you mugshot, and she's crying. <laughs> that says crime and unhappiness better than you can't do better than that. Mm. You you can't come up with crime and unhappiness better than a, a sad mugshot. Mm. So, um, but uh, yeah, I'm looking at all these Catwoman covers here, and you know, I could sure pick out the bad ones. Um, uh, I guess that one's good. I like the cover to 74 where she's lifting the mirror. Yes, that was the next one I was going to point out. I think that that one's so clever with the way you have her half her face in the mirror and the rest is more of a silhouette right because she's being backlit by the light behind her so it's creating a shadow in the same general shape of her reflection which i got that because that actually happened to me in a hotel at san diego comic-con one year where you were breaking into a safe i really was i truly was <laughs> um no i was just standing there in front of a mirror that was facing the yeah. window and like a helicopter or something went by so the room was filled with light it was nighttime the room was filled with light and it it cast a shadow on the mirror that was the same shape as my reflection like my reflection was perfectly inside the shadow cast by this helicopter for a moment and i like went home and did a catwoman cover based on that because i was like oh okay that's yeah and i hadn't thought that light would work like that but it did and you know went for an okay cover but actually, I also speaking of clever covers, I think it's Catwoman number fifty, when Selena's walking past the Zantana like poster ad, and yeah. she's wearing like that long coat, and I guess the belt that loops around it is waving behind her, and it almost looks like a cat's tail to me. Was that intentional yeah. or was that, that just? That was that was intentional. It happened yes. while I was drawing it, nice. and then I I realized that. I could draw her whip because, you know, Darwin always drew her like she would curl the whip around her waist three times and then clasp it in the middle with a little like buckle. Mm. 
Um, and I realized, like a dummy, oh crap, her whip, you know, the handle end of her whip could be hanging off of her, you know, her, her butt like a cattail. Right. Yeah. And you can see the covers where I remembered to do it, and then you can see the covers where I forgot to do it. Mm. And anytime people come, people come up to me with the covers where I forgot, I always draw the whip <laughs> with, with a sharp whip, going, "Sorry, I have to finish this cover for you." Um, but yeah, that was that that was one of the rare sort of you know happy accident while you're working, and then you have to make a post-it note to yourself to go, "Oh, I gotta." Yeah, I'll do this every time from now on. I like how you added the little comic code authority in that. In that one. Oh, I did. Let me see. Let me open it up. Oh, yeah, there I did. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 get, I guess I'm clever when I'm not paying attention. Um, Unintentional you know, cleverness. That's me. That is me all over. Every time people compliment me on something, like, oh my god, I can't believe you're on this cover. Your your use of you know um, golden symmetry or this thing or the other, and I'm like, what? Yeah. What? what are you, what are you nerd? About? You know, <laughs> it's like I'm a big Beatles fan, and I, I remember an interview with um, the Beatles from you know the early days of Beatlemania, and they, you know, they were all self-taught; they couldn't read or write music, and they were like, you know, they'd be reading these reviews of their songs in newspapers or magazines, and you know, learned people would be commenting them, you know, or complimenting them on their Aeolian cadences, and they were all like, "What is that?" Do you know what that means? I don't know what that means, you know. Um, so sometimes, you know, sometimes creators are fabulous geniuses and maestros who can, you know, command the very thunders. And some of us are just happy idiots that accidentally <laughs> produce stuff, you know. And I, I hate to admit it, but I'm a happy idiot because I just like – I'll do something and people will go, oh, did you realize – that you like, you know, you know, did this, and I'll, I, I half the time I lie, <laughs> half the time I go, but of course, you know, like, and, and then I go off and I have to Google, yeah. The um, did did DC comp comp you with the DC direct cover girls of the DC universe, Adam Hughes Catwoman statue? Yeah, yeah, they, they they gave me a couple of every statue. I okay, on. just making sure that's a gorgeous one, man. I still got to hunt that one down, but uh, the, they, the the full figure one or the little mini bust? Oh, uh, the full figure one. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think they did a good job with in terms of the reference for the the cover. They were, you were doing. yeah. Well, it was interesting. Was uh, in the section of cover run, we, you know, we would have these little two two page interstitial segments in between chapters of the book, and we had a two page interstitial section that was about the statues and they let me do this. I actually took that statue and I recreated the cover matching the lighting, you know, the purple backlighting and then the sort of key lighting on the other side. Um, I, I, I actually had a fun afternoon sitting there going, Oh, wait a minute. They, you know, Jack Matthews did such a good job sculpting this. I can literally recreate the cover with this with this three-dimensional statue that he sculpted i think somewhere on social media or something maybe twitter i think there were posts you were with your friends or wife or someone maybe traveling and you had your pouch i think you were like sketching around or whatnot uh do you like in terms of fine art is anyone any like particular like past artists or old masters or whoever it may be that you kind of look look towards as well as you uh 
continually evolve with your artistic process? No, I haven't evolved there yet. I haven't evolved to fine art. I'm still trying to dissect, you know, American illustration from mm. the early 20th century and comic book art. Like, you want to hear something really crazy? I've only recently gotten into Alex Toth. You know, there was just no opportunity for me to get into Toth when I was in my formative years. And now I'm all these books are coming out, all these collections of Toth stuff. And I'm going, oh, my God, how could I have missed this boat um, for so many years? And I'm just excited that, that there's still new things out there for me to to learn about. So I do, I have a small brain. Even though I have a large hat size, I have a small brain inside that skull. <laughs> and uh, there's not a lot of room for fine arts i mean i've been to the louvre and uh it was mostly confused and scared uh, uh so not no no fine artists just yet you know most all my heroes are still you know illustrators and commercial artists you know i can i can i mean alphonse Mucha did many glorious fine art paintings but i still consider him a, a hired gun who did amazing posters so, you know, you could call him a fine artist for his Slav epic, you know, series of paintings with his like house sized paintings, you know, uh, depicting the plight of his people. Uh, but I and I think they're amazing. But because I don't know a thing about oil painting, I, I have no connection. You know, like a lot of times I'll see a, I'll see the work of a great painter and I'll go, huh. And then I'll see that painter's pencil studies for the painting. And I go, Whoa, hmm. because I know what a pencil is. I know how a pencil works. You know, hmm. it's not, you know, oil painting is still an alien language to me. Hmm. But when I, like I can look at Dean Cornwell's paintings and I go amazing paintings, but then I see Dean Cornwell's pencil studies hmm. and I just, I get all jittery going, Oh, look what you can do with a pencil. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but before we get into the lightning round, I just want to ask you one last bland question. With all the amazing characters and women you draw in comics do, do you have a favorite or is it just a different animal with each one yeah it's, it's i'm so fickle you know mm. i mean i i i still love wonder woman mm. nice. um uh and i've got a couple i've got a couple wonder woman covers i'm going to be doing in, in a few months nice. uh, awesome but it but it's like that's like revisiting an old friend um i i always will love catwoman yeah because because it ended before it could have it, it before it, it ran its course so i always feel there's unfinished business with selena yeah absolutely. and so she, i'm very fond of of catwoman and anytime somebody asks me to draw her i go like i start rubbing my hands going yeah okay <laughs> that's awesome what, what what's your thoughts on the um the whole batman catwoman wedding thing that they kind of like had going on and this this new dynamic that tom king's trying to take it with do you have any like thoughts on that or uh well i think everything tom touches turns to platinum i mean he's so so damn good um i was hurt that no one asked me to participate Mm. i was just like okay all right fine and then when it blew up (laughs) i was just kind of (laughs) like i i i I missed that 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 firing like that's what you get (laughs) yeah so you'd be interested in doing some of the bat cat series covers though right if they asked me sure 
Well, we could, we could, we'll, we'll, we'll pull it in a word. Yeah, we'll definitely do that because I know he has the... <laughs> yeah, like they listen to us. But... No, he, he, he actually has. <laughs> Tom King actually... But no, the Batman Catwoman run that's coming out with uh, the, the Clay's doing interiors, that's going to need a lot of variant covers. So uh, we got to get in Tom's ear at that because uh, you know, the King has to I, return. <laughs> I just, you know, like I, I don't know why. I mean, let's face it. They've got amazing artists you know you got you know you got you've got clay you've got mitch dreads you've got um josh middleton you got all these great guys i go well, i can see why you know you might not remember to give me a buzz hmm. uh, um sometimes i've wondered like are they are they purposefully ignoring me because it's like you had your time hmm. on that character and uh it's like it's like you know they never they don't seem to ever go back and ask Brian Ballin to do Wonder Woman covers, mm. you know. And he's like, like one of the greatest Wonder Woman artists ever. Mm. Uh, and it's like, you know, there might be a sense of like, you know, this was a a a part of history. You were part of the character at this time. Move on, you know. And um, you know, I, I would disagree with that sentiment. It's it's strange because there's a lot of pencils. For, do you feel like there's a, a hell of a lot of like maybe almost too many pencils for hire at this point in the game? There just feels like there's not that I think it's a bad thing, but I just feel like like you think about the '90s and now, like you know, you had one artist he did the cover, he did the interiors, but now you have all these different artists alternating books and doing 50 different covers for each issue. Do you feel like it's just maybe just a shitload of pencils for hire at this point, or? Uh, well, it, it, it could be. I've never thought of it that way. I, I, I'll tell you what I think is I think that there is a, a – we are in a, a, a fantastic golden age of comic illustration these days because you know you, you go back to any era in comics and you can pick – you can pick the greats. You can pick the great artists and they, they roll off your tongue easily and you just – once you get through the grades, you can't name any of the other artists. They're all, they've all passed into, you know, the dim recesses of history. And I see so much art nowadays that is so brilliant. You know, I, and I, I see these people posting on Instagram or Twitter and it's, there's, you know, it, it's not just, oh, here's professional art and over there is fan art. I see these people who have unbelievable grasp of composition, uh, figure drawing, color theory, and I just go, they, we have more great artists per capita, I guess you could say, now, I think, than ever any period in comics history. You know, you might argue that, you know, well, Golden Age had, you know, maybe the greatest, you know, you sit there and go, you know, Alex Raymond or Hal Foster, stuff like that. Noel Sickles, you know. But I think now there are so few crap artists Mm. and there's so many good artists right now that you can't can't throw a stick without hitting a good artist these days. And I've got my Twitter feed and my Instagram feed very, very tightly curated so that I just get the barest hint of news (laughs) – (laughs) <laughs> a lot of videos of dogs and cats <laughs> nice. um, and art and great art and people who 
post great art and repost great art from other people. And I just sit back and I lay there at bed at night and I'm going, look at that. I'll oh, save that. Oh, look at that. I'm going to steal that person's colors. That's a great. <laughs> uh, Kevin, Kevin Nolan once told me that colors are the only thing you can swipe from another artist and get away with. Um, <laughs> and uh, I just, I just think there's so much. Yeah. There's a lot of, people pushing pencils around nowadays but like most of them are really good mm. and you know uh, some of them the, the twitter instagram thing has become such uh, a great tool for artists as well uh, a little while ago tom king was telling us that uh, uh, i don't know if you're familiar with his work uh, jorge fornes he's been doing some work on batman recently and uh, now he's doing some daredevil with chip Zdarsky. uh tom was telling us that the way he found Jorge's work was from Jorge tweeting Batman images at him until Tom sent him a DM and said, Hey, you want to draw some Batman comics? That's one way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's, uh, that's the modern, I guess that's the modern way of when they used to just constantly mail Marvel um, images, right? Or drawings or whatever. Yeah. And I guess this is just the modern way to do it now. And uh, they could flesh it out quicker now, I guess you could say. And, and not even have to write a letter back or whatever. Just, you know, ignore it or contact the person. But uh, it's such a new, not different sure. climate. Even from 20 years ago, it's like a completely different world. And uh, But uh, but you're right. It's like more content, more artists. And, yeah, just uh, there's so many different pens from there. But, uh, Do you keep I, all of your originals? No. No, I, I sell everything. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, if I, I'm my least favorite artist. Why would I want to keep that stuff around? Somebody wants to buy it off me, and I can help pay my mortgage or feed my 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 dogs. Yeah. More power to them. If I want an Adam Hughes original, I can always just make one. <laughs> That's a good way of looking. You know, I've I've got that bitch in my cellar under the stairs. I can <laughs> chained up. <laughs> I, I can get it anytime I want. So uh, it's it's uh, no, I've got no I've got no love to. To, for the originals and if they make somebody else happy and you know make my uh mortgage company happy then then hooray we all win mm. uh any desire to add to your writing credits yeah yeah i mean i i i never meant to be a writer and i accidentally became a writer on gen 13 ordinary heroes mm. and i've only written a small small handful of comics but i've enjoyed it every time and um, I would like to write and draw my own stuff eventually, like independent, like you're yeah, creator owned. I should say, yeah. Yeah, my I would love to do my own creator owned stuff where it's all me. Yeah, well, that sounds cool. So, Adam, this is how this works. Um, these are just some questions that you know may seem random, but you know we like to think of uh, people that you know come on the show, guests, more as our our friends as we've got to know them and get to know you a little bit better. Um, I've got, I've got the clock set for two minutes. We're going to try to fire through these as fast as possible. Okay. If you get them all done, you get a free t-shirt. <laughs> <What the? laughs> <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Favorite movie. Casablanca. Mm, nice. Favorite vacation mm. spot. Uh, Paris. Ooh, nice. Favorite holiday. Uh, Halloween. Nice. Halloween. Cool. What's your favorite uh, candy bar or snack? Mm, it's got to be Twizzlers. Mm. Comic character? Uh, Captain America. Okay. Actor or actress? 
Uh, actress Audrey Hepburn. Actor probably Harrison Ford. Cool. Type of music. Uh, good. <laughs> Favorite childhood cartoon. Favorite childhood cartoon. It's gotta be that, that Spider Man nineteen sixty seven. Mac and cheese or mashed potatoes? Uh, Sophie's choice. How dare you? Um, <laughs> mac and cheese. Yeah. Mac and cheese if it's made good. If it's made well. Okay. Yeah. NECA or Mezco? <laughs> oh, God. Mezco. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> deep dish or New York pizza? Oh, deep dish. Oh, oh the monkey wrench. <laughs> Favorite Batman movie? Favorite Batman movie? Uh, I've got to say Dark Knight. Oh, nice. Star Wars or Star Trek? Uh, how dare you? Uh, <laughs> Star Wars. <laughs> uh, which superpower would you wish to have? Oh God, um, health. Health. Okay. <laughs> Favorite comedian. Pardon. Favorite comedian. Uh, John Mulaney. Mm. Oh, nice. Terminator or RoboCop? Damn you. <laughs> uh, uh, RoboCop. Cool. Good. All right. That's all we have. Okay, now we have uh, one other aspect here of the lightning round that we've begun a tradition here where we ask the guest to leave a question for the next guest. Yeah. And if it helps you form your question, I don't know if you know him personally or not, but our next guest will be Joshua Williamson. Oh, okay. Uh, it can be anything. It can be anything. Okay. Um, Joshua, um, when you eat ice cream, does it become pee or poop? Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> the, these questions are always fun because you never know what level of question you'll get from people. I think very surprisingly, for I don't know why it's surprising, but uh, the, the deepest question we've received from anyone so far was from Joey Lawrence. Okay. Lawrence, the, uh, the actor from Blossom, the 90s child actor. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Joey Lawrence. <laughs> yeah. He uh, had the deepest question. His, his question was, uh, if you, what would you choose if you had the option of uh, living as a millionaire, but only living to the age of 65, or live to be 100, but live life live the life of a pauper who who is it jonathan glampian was like oh you mean i gotta be old and poor man fuck that <laughs> <laughs> that is a that is a that's a good way to put good way to look at it yeah. uh i just want to throw my one of my favorites in there if you could have dinner with any human being that lived throughout history dead or alive who would it be um, a live one. Not a That's the best answer we've ever yeah. got. Okay. Well, just, you know, like, oh, here's Adam having dinner with the corpse of John Lennon. Okay, great, you know. <laughs> Trifle one side. Uh, uh, I, I, you know, just probably Abraham Lincoln. Nice. I always like that answer. That's a good answer. I, you know, I'm not one of those people. You know, there are people out there who are what I call obscurists, mm. and they would never 
have Casablanca as a favorite film because that's everybody's favorite film, mm. you know, or like they would never say Abraham Lincoln because that's everybody's answer. And it's like, what's it? They're like, you know, they, mm. they seem to be living mortal terror of, of, being part of a majority yeah they want to be so they always they always come up with you know like the most obscure bands to like and the most obscure films to like and i always question like do you like it because you like it or do you like it because nobody else likes it mm. yeah. um but yeah I'd, I'd, I'd love to put like a voice to all the Lincoln stuff I've read. Mm. Uh, what's the best piece of advice you've been given and who gave it to you? Best piece of advice I was ever given. Uh, I could make a joke, but it's <laughs> um, my uncle, uh, my mother's brother. Uh, is the only other artistic person in our family. He taught photography at the Smithsonian. Oh, wow. And the only bit of advice he gave me was when I was 19 and I was just starting out in comics. And he said, when your avocation becomes your vocation, it's time to find a new hobby. Mm. And he's right, because I I don't really love drawing the way I loved drawing when I was younger. Mm. Um, it's, it's a job. And I'm not one of those people who draws when he doesn't have to draw. I haven't I haven't drawn I haven't drawn just for the sake of drawing in many 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 years because I I'm slow and I put so much time and effort into it while I'm working, and he was right you know it's like my I turned my my passion into um, an occupation, and I you know I needed to find new hobbies because you know I remember reading an essay by Frank Darabont you know who wrote and directed. Shawshank Redemption and you know the Green Mile and he he started the Walking Dead series and everything. I've I've actually met Frank a few times, had dinner with him. He's a really really wonderful guy. But I remember reading an essay with him, an essay from him, where he was talking about how hard it is to make movies. And he said, and I love a good verbing of a proper noun, but he says we and this is in like 1994. He said we as a generation of Americans have been Nintendoed into thinking that anything that is not fun is therefore not worthwhile. And he says, making movies is not fun. Getting up at four in the morning, going to bed at midnight, not fun. Answering a thousand questions a day is not fun. He says, but it's rewarding. Mm. And it, 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 it was such a moment for me. I was sitting there and I was, you know, 20 some years old and I'd realized why I'd had this sort of malaise about my work was because it wasn't fun anymore but it was rewarding and I, at that moment I realized rewarding and fun are not synonymous mm. and that's something that's kept me going all these years is that it's like okay it, it's not always going to be a hoot but neither is you know you know, digging a ditch in your backyard, but it's like sometimes you, you sometimes you got to do it, and when you're done, you go, ah, I just did this thing. I just dug this big ditch, and um, that's kind of how it is. So yeah, it's just be careful if you if you turn your passion for drawing or making music or whatever into your job, make sure you have a backup hobby. Mm. So what is your new hobby? Oh, uh, I um, I'm looking at a sea of hot toys in my studio. I love I love one six scale action figures and I love customizing them. Uh, oh, I, really? I I I yeah I I haven't 
sculpted, but I, I, I do know how to sew tiny little clothes. Hmm. And, um, but I love kit bashing. I like weathering. I like, you know, like nobody's made cool uncharted one, six scale figures. So I'm constantly making cool uncharted one, six scale figures for myself. Um, the, uh, 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 um, I've been trying to learn to play the guitar since I was 12 and it's, it's never going to work. Um, I love, I love movies. I love video games and, uh, I love non work related travel. Very cool. You ever heard of uh, Tony May, the guy who does all the custom capes and stuff like that? Or Yes, I have. I, I think I follow him on, um, I wish people would use their real names on their accounts. Cause it's like, you know, yeah. <laughs> my name is Ultravox and it's like, thank you, Ultravox. I can't contact you. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where you are. Uh, yeah, I think the guy. I think I've seen his. Uh, is it? I've have seen somebody on on Instagram who does these amazing custom capes mm. for like Hot Toys, Batman's, yeah. Supermans. It's, uh, it's 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 fun. I I had to calm down because it gets so expensive sometimes. But like I, you know, you'd have Trevor Grove doing like a Dark Knight Return sculpt, and then there's a guy in Mexico that specializes in the utility belts. And then Tony May does the capes and the weathering of the suits. <laughs> I'm just like, oh. holy shit. It's so cool oh. to have like a custom weathered six scale piece. But man, it you got to put that time and work and money in, man. But uh, but it's oh. quite rewarding as well because I, I like six scale as well. So Now now that you got the six scale, they need a playground to play in. So you need a diorama too. Mm, yeah. I've got a few. I've got a few. Um, uh, I love it when, you know, they make you know, nice medium sized dioramas. So your figure isn't just standing there on their base, waiting for a, a one, six scale bus to pick them up mm. and you can actually, <laughs> you know, put them in, you know, like a little environment. Like right now I'm looking at the, just at the corner of my computer and I've got the, uh, the old, old, old one, six scale, uh, Frankenstein monster and bride of Frankenstein on that little Frankenstein diorama that sideshow did about 10, 12 years ago. And it's just like, yeah, wow, that's, that's awesome. better. That's, that's better than them just standing on my desk like a bunch of <laughs> like a like a bunch of vagrants, you know. <laughs> Love that. I used to actually uh, be a member of the Atlanta GI Joe Club. Oh wow! And um, I got into this. It's actually my 20th anniversary as a one six scale addict. Um, I remember it was 1999, and a friend. It was really weird. It's like as a kid, I played with toys and I played video games. And then I became a teenager, and I got all I cared about was comics. And it wasn't until the late 90s, 1999, that I got into toys and video games. And the toy was a Hasbro 1-6 scale Darth Maul because Phantom Menace had just come out. Mm -hmm. So somebody gave me that as a birthday present because my birthday was like two weeks before Phantom Menace came out. And um, I got Medal of Honor for the PlayStation and because uh, I was a World War II buff. And I was since, ever since then, it's just been toys and video games. And um, I, me and my roommate uh, were checking. He was like, you got to check out. There's all this really neat 12-inch action figure stuff going on. So we went over to local Toys R Us, and we're hanging out in the action figure aisle going, oh, that, that's, these seem way cooler than, like, G.I. Joe's when I was a kid. Uh, I'm old enough that G.I. Joe's were the 12-inch, you know, with, the, with the, the flocked beards and the kung fu grip. That's my era of G.I. Joe. And uh, this guy came up to us. And he just kind of sidles up to us sideways, and he goes, "Hey, do you guys like Joe's?" And, and me and my, me and my roommate held, 
held each other like it was our first prison shower. <laughs> and <laughs> and it, it turned out that the, the guy was just like the super <laughs> friendliest guy, still friends with him to this day. And he, he's part of the, the Atlanta GI Joe club. He invited us to meetings and they, they, they're swap meets, you know, they, you know, you, Oh, I need a pair of shoes for this, this one custom. And, um, they, um, through them, I met these other guys who made one six scale dioramas and their one six scale dioramas were like 16 feet by 16 feet wide sometimes on the order of 12 to 16 feet tall um good lord they they worked in this huge warehouse that made like this is a place where things get made i a fabrication center i don't know what you call it but like uh back in the early like aughts when delta airlines um you know when you could when it when, when just when they started out with the you know you can check yourself in at a little kiosk this factory made all those kiosks for delta okay and they had this warehouse that was bigger than the one from the end of raiders of the lost ark and the owner of the place let these two guys use the shop use the materials whatever they wanted as long as the owner the, you know, like one of the other owners, whatever, didn't see it. So they would they would take. I mean, this warehouse was so big there was stuff in there going back to the '60s. It would wow. it truly it truly was the Raiders of the Lost Ark warehouse. <laughs> and they they found a corner, and corner is in very large air quotes of this warehouse where they could like erect temporary walls of just like empty crates and. Nobody would bother because it's like, oh, that's that's from the 60s. Nobody goes back there. And behind there, they would make these gigantic 16 by 16 by 16 foot dioramas. And, you know, usually like, you know, 70 to 80 action figures, you know, in a battle scene. And they let me play with them. They let me. You know, sort of like, you know, they didn't care. They were like, hey, if you want to make scenes, hey, if you want to paint figures, hey, if you want to do blood splatter. Um, and the guys who created the Atlanta G.I. Joe Club started this uh, convention called Joe Lanta. And um, it's now since become Toy Lanta because it's an all purpose sort of toy show. Now it's, I'm very lucky it's only 10 minutes from my house, um, annual show. And, uh, I participated for a good seven, eight years in these giant dioramas that would be the showcase of the conventions. And um, I did sound for them. It was great. I did that. I was, I was like, you know, I was ripping wave files from like video games on my computer and I would do custom sound mixes of battle scenes or whatever. And the guys never had sound before. And they were like, Oh my God, we'd, we'd hide speakers in the diorama and there would be just be, you, know, you could follow the story of the, of the diorama with the sounds. And, um, okay. That's a hobby. That's a hobby. That's one of my spare hobbies right there. That's, that's really cool. So you also do like toy photography then, right? I used to do a lot of it before I bought a house and had to wear like grown up pants. I did a lot of playing around toy photography and I would just, you know, cause I'm, I'm very good with Photoshop because I color with it. And uh-huh. Oh yeah. If I like when I got my master replicas, um, starship enterprise from the original series, you know, a good 13 years ago. I mean, the first thing I did was I just started, I put a green screen up. I took pictures of it. I added space scapes and, I did battle scenes and it was just like, I do that at night after I'd be done a day of work and it was, 
like the best tonic in the world. Use like a Detolf shelving or anything like that, or we 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 use those um, upstairs when our neighbors who are you know muggles actually come by because um, because they're they're non frightening down in my studio. I I for the first time in my life when we bought the house in two thousand nine, um, I actually had a studio built for myself. Nice. And so I had I have actually custom like library shelves built oh, and. They're the ones that are covered with action figures and mm. and, and models of spaceships and mm. you know what please, have you. Please tell me that one of those library shelves uh, conceals a hidden room. Uh, I do have a hidden bookcase. I do have. Uh, uh, I'm on the lower floor of my house, and there was a um, a chimney that goes the entire side of the house, and. We bought this house. One of the main reasons was because the lower level, which has which I'm sitting in right now, 11 foot high ceilings, concrete floor. People who built the house never did anything with it, and so it was like a 40 year old house where the downstairs level was still framing and exposed, you know, insulation and one light bulb hanging from the ceiling, and you could see the inside of the chimney through, like. You know, between two um, um, uh, bits of wall. Mm. So what we did was we insulated it, and I had the the guy who did all my bookcases build a bookcase. It's got all my DVDs. I'm looking at it right now. But you use a pinky, and it opens up, and it's all hidden shelving. Oh, wow. I wanted to put a Batman costume in there with like a light on top of it. Because <laughs> I thought like, okay, what if somebody breaks into my house and like they, they, they like, well, it's, this bookcase looks really interesting. Let's, oh, it's this, this is where the safe is. Can you imagine a burglar opening up a secret bookcase and there's a Batman costume? Like, <laughs> yeah, like I broke into Batman's house. Right. <laughs> yeah. you know, like, I, I think that's better than any home security you could possibly have. Um, <laughs> But it's currently filled with more and more one six scale action figures. The only true scale. I see toys coming out now that are one twelfth scale, mm. and I see one, I see one quarter scale, and I go, "You're all pretenders to the throne." One six scale. <laughs> I had to go. I had to go buy dog food. Um, I, I did went to the PetSmart, and I always go through the um, like the lizard aisle. Even though I don't own a lizard, because all those weird things that you can put inside aquariums um, make for make for one cool one six scale, uh, you know, props. And I found like you're exactly a, right. Yeah, and there's like I found this little broken Oriental vase um, that's for like a fish tank. It's for like something where you have real tiny fish, so like they can swim through the cracks in the vase. But it goes perfectly with my Uncharted figures, and I'm putting it back right now because I was looking at it. Um, <laughs> You're exactly right because my wife was like, um, why did you come home with uh, aquarium rocks? And I'm like, that cave, hello. <laughs> oh, well, you know, when we're in there together, my wife sees me grab um, a, fo- a foot and a half tall fake tree root. <laughs> she'll see me carrying it back to the shopping cart full of dog and cat food and she'll just go Yoda and I go yes you know like this, this is gonna go with my, this is gonna go with my hot toys Yoda because it looks like a Dagobah tree you know and uh, you know that's that's just it's that's that really is the you know like all my all my eBay searches are just for one six scale stuff six scale is the scale to go I feel like 12 scale is cool because it's like your typical action figure but you get more detail 
I feel with six scale, and I think quarter scale is just too much. I think you just lose the quality of detail with quarter scale. I feel- quarter scale is a statue. Yeah, yeah, pretty much is. At at San Diego uh, a few weeks ago, uh, me and a buddy of mine, are, we make a beeline to sideshow so we can see all the sideshow and hot toy stuff that's coming down the road, uh, including a couple other like I think sideshow carries. Uh, Big Chief Studios from England to do all the Doctor Who figures and uh, a few others. And I saw these three statues, and one of them was the Iron Man Mark III, one of them was the Mark II, which is the Mark III unpainted with rivets, and then one of them was the first Tom Holland Spider-Man. And it took me a minute to realize that they weren't statues, like premium format statues with like Spider-Man had fabric on them. They're action figures. They're Hot Toys quarter-scale action figures. And the the person who had posed the Spider-Man had done this amazingly dynamic Gil Kane pose. And I was like, I, I, I did drool a little. I was like, kind of going, if you can do that with it, that's pretty nice. Um, but yeah, you got, you got to stick to one scale and the most, I think the most extra stuff you can hunt down is still in one six scale. Mm. If you're looking for like those aquarium rocks, if you're looking for a certain pair of shoes, um, I am on a perpetual hunt for the greatest one-six scale skull. Mm. You know, the perfect one-six scale skull, so I can get a buddy of mine who works on the Marvel movies uh, in the costume department. I'm getting him to recast it for me, so I can have hundreds of perfect one-six scale skulls. Oh, nice! You know what started the whole one-six scale craze too is. Uh... I think Hot Toys started doing military figures. I think that's what their thing was. Yeah. Like, and then it, then they just branched off into all these other big licenses with like Star Wars, Marvel, DC, and whatnot. But uh, well, yeah. Sideshow, even before Hot Toys, Sideshow was doing their Civil War stuff. Right. Um, Dragon was doing their World War II stuff. We had 21st Century Toys in American toy stores. Um, but... Uh, uh, oh, speaking speaking of the Marvel things, I'm going to tell you the wacky story of, of me working on Avengers Endgame. Mm. A little bit of Perrier to uh, ease the ease the through. <laughs> nice. mm. Why Perrier? Well, because I'm all out of gin and tonic. Um, so my buddy Chris and his wife Ricky, um, she's the cosplayer known as Riddle. Uh, they're very old friends of mine. Chris was my roommate who... Uh, you know, we were the ones frightened in the toy aisle of Toys R Us in 1999. Um, you know, when we were roommates, I, I'm drawing comics. Chris was always creating stuff. Chris was always making like a Thor's hammer out of real stone or a Green Lantern battery or, or a Superman cape. He loved making superhero props. And when they started making the Marvel movies uh, here in uh, a lot of the Marvel movies here in Atlanta, uh, he got in on the lowest level possible on Ant-Man. And he's been working on them ever since. Uh, he got me a set visit on Civil War, and um, that was like right after San Diego. He's like, "Come on, come on down. I got you a set visit." And you know, like, like I said in the lightning round, Captain America is my favorite superhero. So it's like uh, I, I loved what Chris Evans did with Captain America in the movies. Um, on this, my Civil War set visit, I got to watch him and Spider Man fight. Oh, nice. And this was before they had anybody knew Spider-Man was in the movie. I had to sign a thousand NDAs to be, to be, to be allowed to watch. And I'm standing there watching him throw, miming throwing a eventual CGI shield at Spider-Man. And I was just like, this is the coolest day ever, you know? Um, uh, got a Guardians 
uh, the Galaxy Volume 2 tour. Didn't see any cool actors or anything, but I did get to hang out with James Gunn for a little bit. Um, but they've they've constantly asked me like, Hey, we need an extra set of hands on set today. Would you like to come down? And I've always had deadline problems. I was like, no, nah, I can't. And when they were shooting additional photography for Endgame last September and October, he said, we need a sec- an extra set of hands. Can you come down? I said, yeah, this is the last chance I'm going to get to see any of these actors if I'm lucky. So I went down and I worked in the specialty costume department for one day on Endgame, And uh, my job you know, they still film a scene with all the actors running around doing their thing. And then when they get a take, they like, they call for a clean pass. And then the camera goes through the exact same move on an empty set. So that way the visual effects artists have a background plate if they need to digitally erase somebody. Um, and then they have what's called the reference parade and the specialty costume people run through the shot, kind of miming the action that the actors and the stuntmen and the extras did carrying either parts of the specialty costumes or like a Hulk maquette or like Thanos's head. So for half of the day, I was Iron Man. <laughs> I'm running through this fat, overweight comic book artist carrying the upper half of Iron Man. They put a dowel rod through his shoulders. I've got the head, the shoulders, and the chest piece <laughs> over my head, running across this burning soundstage because it was the, hmm. the Avengers compound so that the VFX artists can have like lighting reference for the armor. For half the day I was Iron Man, for the second half of the day I was Rescue. And that was that was that was like don't tell anybody cuz nobody knows Rescue's in the movie and I was like I will keep my mouth shut. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> it was a great day. I mean, you know, you get to work on a movie set and it's not your job, so it's special. It's it's like, "Oh, I get to hang out with the Avengers for a day." And I mean, the film's been out for a while. It just came out on Blu-ray. If anybody's listening to this and you haven't seen the film i'm going to throw some spoilers out so go away um i thought it was going to be you know it's, it's, it's additional photography it's 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 um you know uh, we didn't get this close-up of thor's hand grabbing a hammer we didn't get this like shot of the back of captain america's head i walk out on the soundstage at 8 30 in the morning with the top half of iron man it's a soundstage the size of a football field it's the burning avengers compound with green walls behind it there's 50 to 60 actors, extras, and stuntmen, both the Russo brothers, Kevin Feige, Lou Desposito. It's literally everyone. It looked, it looked like San Diego on a Thursday, okay? And I walk out with the top half Iron Man, and I see Chris Evans standing there in his full Captain America costume with a broken, <laughs> with a broken shield on one arm carrying me older in the other hand. And I, I went, motherfucker. Fuck. I was like, <laughs> I, I didn't think today was going to be like spoiler day. And you know what? When you do that sort of motherfuck, and you turn your head to the other side to just kind of shake your head, I turned my head. Fat Thor. There's Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> there's Chris Hemsworth. This giant gut trying to be concealed under his Thor costume. And I just, I held Iron Man up against my eyes, and I said to my old roommate, "I said, what the fuck, man? I was like, I don't need to see the film now." Um, <laughs> It was such a fun day. I got to work with Chris Evans and Chris Hemsworth and and half the nation of Wakanda. And, you know, it, it was just it was just, you know, little boy's dream come true. Yeah. You, you could also say that you worked on the highest grossing movie of all time at this point as well. Like it's- that that is what I will tell chicks that come up to me. <laughs> 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 
by the way, you know, like I've got a, I have a IMDb page. Uh, um, I, I did a piece of artwork for clerks for Kevin Smith's clerks a zillion years ago. Um, I did some design work for the Watchmen film. Uh, there's another Adam Hughes that worked on children of the corn three and he's, his, he's on my page. I gotta get that fixed. And, and I was like going, how do you, how do you get this other Adam Hughes off of my, I can his, his, children of the corn ass off of my feet you know <laughs> and then i was like i could put endgame in there you know i was like <laughs> i did i have a paste up i can prove that i was there and uh you're right it would it would impress chicks and dumb natives if i tell people that i uh you know it's like holding a lighter up you know i was like i'll bring back the sun if you uh, acknowledge the fact that i worked on endgame <laughs> have you done any artwork for like chris evans in any of those other? No, no, no. I have. I mean, I, I, I stood two feet from him mm. when he put his cap helmet on. Yeah, that's cool. I would, and I was just like, and I wanted to go, hey, Chris, you know, like, yeah. but I'm just like, I'm the lowest of the low. I'm a day player. You know, it's not my job to bother this cat while he's working. Mm. And there was one point where where Kevin Feige walked past me, like, like. A day player, you know, you might be an extra. You might be helping out in the specialty costumes department. You might be just, you know, grabbing rocks and throwing them into a box. People who clean the toilets at the studio are higher up the food chain than day players because they have benefits. They have a union. You know, it's like I was literally just disposable meat working a day. <laughs> That's well, that sounds sexy. Though, but, uh, it did it way, you know. <laughs> There's one point where I'm sitting there holding, I've got, I'm holding the top half of Rescue on my lap, waiting for the, you know, for us to do our reference pass. And Kevin Feige walks like two feet in front of me to go to the restroom, and he glances down at me. He he, he looks down at Rescue, and then he glances at me, and he keeps on going. And I thought, for that one moment, it was literally the zenith and the nadir of Marvel Studios because you've got <laughs> Kevin Feige, who is arguably the architect of all this stuff and then you've got this like grunt this day player who just said doo, 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 i'm holding rescue and i just had this moment of going it's it's just it's just alpha and omega right there uh, but, but like my friend uh my friend ricky she her job at that point was to give chris evans his hero helmet when he needed it for the shots and one time she said come with me she handed me her bag which had, um, you know, glue and paint, all that kind of stuff. If the helmet needed to be fixed, rather than take it all the way back to the shop, which was in a different building, they could fix it on stage. So I was her, her, her handbag man, and so she did that so I could like stand next to Chris Evans while he became <laughs> Captain America, and I. I pissed myself. I was just like, this is so cool. This is so damn cool. You know, they, and we so want to thank you for your time, man. And, uh, and all the good work you do for this genre that we love so much. And, uh, please continue to do what you do. And, uh, we look forward to that. Absolute. Hopefully next spring, definitely going to grab that. It's got to come out. Yeah. So, and, uh, we'll definitely awesome. be in Tom King's ear and everyone else in terms of getting some, some very Catwoman variant, some Batcat variant covers from you too. Because we're gonna let them know. That's for sure. Oh, that's awfully sweet. Thank you so yeah. much for having me. Thank you. And all the best to everybody who's tuned in and listened. Thanks again, Adam. And stay all away right. from those bees. All right. Ah. <laughs> all right, have a good night, buddy. Thank you. Good night. Hey, Gotham dwellers, make sure to stop everything right now and subscribe to Bat Force Radio. We can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud. Don't miss out. Guaranteed to satisfy 
all of your Batman and DC needs.